Welcome to the STEM Sessions podcast. I am your host, Jarl Cody. Let me start by saying this will be a different type of podcast than those before it. There is no research topic, no question I stumbled upon that I needed to answer for myself. I haven't written the podcast in full ahead of time. I recorded with a rough outline in front of me and produced with minimal editing so it sounds more conversational, which is really just a polite way of saying it sounds rougher. But this philosophical discussion of what inspired me to pursue a career in mechanical engineering came to the forefront when my favorite teacher from high school announced his retirement. He was certainly one of my inspirations, but I didn't connect all of the plot points until I started recording a video to him with my congratulations. He didn't uniquely inspire me to become an engineer. In fact, no one did, but yet everyone did. It's a complicated manner and one I hope I'm able to properly explain here. This is the STEM Sessions Podcast, Episode 15. Why did I become an engineer? For the last three or four years, I've participated in the Skype a Scientist program. If you're not familiar with that program, basically, people who work in STEM volunteer their time to be matched with teachers and have a conversation with their classrooms about what it's like to work in STEM. The format is really up to the teacher and the professional, the STEM professional, but what I've typically done is introduce myself for three or four minutes at the beginning and then turn it over to questions and answers with the students. I kind of like that format because most of the time I really don't know what the students are going to find interesting. And I figure why bore them with, with a prepared remarks when I can have them lead the discussion and, and show me what they're interested in. For the most part, my experiences with Skype a Scientist have been enjoyable, though there have been a few stinkers. I've spoken with third grade classes at the youngest and I think junior, juniors in high school at the oldest. But oddly, regardless of the age group, about 80% of the questions the students ask are the same. And one of those common questions is what inspired you to become a mechanical engineer? I've always had a problem answering this question because I don't have a single event or a single person that inspired me to pursue mechanical engineering. And I'm always worried my answer will kind of disappoint the students because maybe they want an entertaining story or maybe they want to learn, maybe they want to learn about ways that they too might be inspired. We seem to be trained to expect an aha moment for the answer to this question and similar questions. It's kind of like when you're watching Shark Tank and, and they always ask the person presenting, well, what inspired you to come up with this idea or what inspired you to, to start this business? And I really think it's kind of a misplaced focus. Um, it's almost like if you don't have that good aha story, you're not taken as seriously as if you don't have as much of a passion as someone who does have that moment of divine inspiration. But I really don't think that's how our life experiences work together. They're not discrete, unrelated events. It's, it's all part of a continuum. Today, right now, we are the sum of all experiences and knowledge gained from all days before today. And tomorrow, we will add today's experiences and knowledge to the mix. And today, and all the days before it, affect what we'll do tomorrow. 
positive, negative, enlightening, confusing, productive, lazy, it all makes us us. It forms our biases and our influences and influences our decisions. In junior high, for example, I wanted to be a field biologist. I wanted to follow packs of wolves into the backcountry. I loved backpacking. I loved tracking. I loved nature. So a field biologist sounded incredibly fun. Of course, I had no idea what being a field biologist actually entailed or, or how many opportunities were out there for that profession. I just wanted to be in nature. Then in high school, I wanted to be a theoretical physicist. Physics was my favorite class, and the spooky, non-intuitive topics fascinated me. Of course, I had no idea what being a theoretical physicist actually entailed or how many opportunities were out there to be a theoretical physicist. I just wanted to think about abstract stuff. In college, I discovered what being a theoretical physicist was all about, and I learned I don't have the right type of intelligence for it. It's not a knock on my intelligence or even saying theoretical physicists are way smarter than me. Some are, some aren't. It's just my brain simply doesn't work in the way theoretical physics requires. But at the same time, I learned my brain does work in the way required for engineering. The simplest explanation of what inspired me to become an engineer is a design-based engineering class I took as a freshman in college. It showed me engineering was more than reading textbooks. It was hands-on. It, was, it wasn't just solving exam problems, but also solving real-world design problems. And that's how my brain works. Like I said, that's the simple answer, but it isn't complete, and it may not even be that truthful. That class might have shined the final spotlight on engineering, but it was really my entire education and upbringing that primed me for that realization. Engineering was always in my background. I grew up on a ranch. Building and fixing and designing, solving problems was just what we did. Fences, gates, grain silos, electric fences, mowing lawns, prepping fields for crops all had elements of engineering. Even how I observed the wildlife and plants around us was a very methodical approach. In fact, everything we did was methodical because if you wasted too much effort, you're wasting money, you're burning daylight, as the, the saying goes, and you needed to be as efficient as possible with what you were doing. In high school, I loved physics lab and biology lab and chemistry lab, but looking back at those notebooks, which I've kept all this time, it's clear to me now that we weren't doing physics, we weren't doing biology or chemistry in their respective labs. Yes, we were learning about physics and biology and chemistry, but in the labs we were actually doing engineering. We were designing procedures and replicating experiments and solving problems, but the results in the equations were already known. So basically doing physics or biology or chemistry would have meant that we, would, we were expanding the knowledge base of those subjects. We were certainly learning those subjects, but we weren't doing those subjects. Instead, we were determining the best way to replicate results, the best way to set up our experiments, um, the best way to collect measurements, to think critically 
and methodically in our experiments and, and data collection and to solve problems as they popped up. Like what if, what if our initial design for this experiment didn't work or we weren't getting reliable or, or consistent data? Well, we have to go back to the drawing board and figure out a way to refine the experiment, maybe refine the tools or refine the way that we were collecting data to make it more reproducible and get the consistent results we were looking for. That's engineering. If it was physics or biology or chemistry, we would actually take the data that was collected and try to figure out, okay, what is, what's in the laws of nature that is leading to these wildly different results? But engineering, because we already knew what the results should have been, allowed us to refine the experiment and the procedures and the tools to get those results. In fact, the manner in which I collect data today when I'm in the lab at work, man, that can be traced all the way back to those high school science labs. I can look at those lab books and see many of the same processes, not the same, but certainly the foundation of the processes and the methods I use today. Um, in fact, the, the manner in which I take notes in general, uh, for example, while doing research for white papers at work or even research for these podcasts, that structure of note taking, that can be traced all the way back to how I took notes in high school, especially in my history classes. So despite having multiple influences, there was no single moment of inspiration for me to become a mechanical engineer. No single person made me say, I want to be like him when I grow up. You know, I didn't have, I didn't have a moment where I was, a, was on a field trip and, or maybe uh, um, like a, a space shuttle engineer came to my school to talk to us. And uh, I was just so inspired to be like him. Uh, it was none of the, it, it was just everything around me ended up focusing or funneling me to becoming an engineer. Now, there have been one or two Skype a scientist sessions where I was feeling extra spirited. And when this question comes up, I will answer a little bit differently or I'll put um, an add on at the end of my answer. And I'll say that the TV character MacGyver was my inspiration for becoming a mechanical engineer. And I ha I I'm very careful to clarify that it's not the current character on TV who is really MacGyver in name only. You know, I'm talking about the OG MacGyver from the late 80s and early 90s. Most kids don't get the reference. It's, it's, it's too old for them. But while I'm attempting to add levity to the conversation, there is an element of truth to, truth to that. If there was any person real or fictional that could be my inspiration, it would be Angus MacGyver. You know, he was the jack of all science trades, but he was an engineer at heart. He solved problems like an engineer. He improvised like an engineer, and he worked with his hands like an engineer. I often took, or I often copied many of the things he did on the TV show and tried them out uh, for myself. And that was also, that was very formative in the way of, coming up with my own methods and my processes and just my my love and interest for how things work. And even outside of the STEM fields, there were similarities between myself and MacGyver. 
you know, he was an expert in the outdoors and survival. And that was something that I was really striving to become. He was from a northern rural state, as was I. He played ice hockey, as did I. He was a fan of the Old West, which is something, uh, which is a, a sub history subject that has long interested me. And he had amazing hair. Uh, those were all traits I had or was learning to have while I was growing up. And before growing out my hair completely in high school, I, you know, I, I rocked a mullet in junior high. I'm not, um, not ashamed to admit that. You know, I think the overlap between myself and MacGyver, the character, was mostly coincidental. You know, it was my favorite TV show because the character and themes fit into my wheelhouse and my interests. I didn't necessarily model myself after him, though I can remember on a couple occasions like playing the theme song in my head while I was building something like a water balloon trap or um, like pepper spray bombs, you know, you know, those kind of dangerous little gimmicks, you know, and I also had the anarchist cookbook when I was 12 or 13. And keep in mind, this was pre-internet, so I couldn't simply download a scanned copy of the book. I had to find the actual book. And I didn't realize it at the time, but for a teenager with a mind for science and engineering and who was entering his rebellious phase, that book was amazing. It was, it was everything. I think it really planted the seeds or maybe just nurtured the seeds that were already there for much of my political philosophy. But sticking with engineering, man, engineering was all through the anarchist cookbook. Uh, you know, designing, building, problem solving, uh, improvising, thinking on the fly, working with your hands. That was everything in that book. Um, it was, and I know today it was definitely frowned upon then. It was seen as a very negative in, influence. Um, and today it's probably even more so. More so. Um, but if you had the Boy Scouts handbook and you had the anarchist cookbook, man, you were pretty much set as a as a preteen or teenage adolescent or teenager in, you know, the, the late eighties and early nineties. And, and that definitely had some very formative effects on, on how everything in my brain worked. So to close, uh, you know, there is no single event or a single person who inspired me to pursue mechanical engineering as a career. And I don't think there's any shame in not having this aha moment of inspiration. It doesn't mean you're less passionate than the people who do. And I propose that those aha moments are actually less important than their owners claim they are. Dozens, if not hundreds or thousands of prior experiences primed them to make that decision in that aha moment. I... I think it wasn't the moment itself. The moment was actually just kind of the capstone or the straw that broke the camel's back or the the final drop of water that caused it to overflow, whatever, whatever metaphor and analogy you want to put on it. It was all of the experiences leading up to that point that put them in the position to recognize that that moment was that they should, what fork in the road they should take at that moment. 
I'm the product of everything I've learned and experienced in my life. And you are as well. The good, the bad, and the ugly, the academic, the recreational, and the waste of time, um, the pride, the shame, and the confusion, the past is all vital to who we are today. And today is vital to who we will be tomorrow. So if I can give advice to anyone who is either seeking what career path to take or what, what um, you know, choosing between interests or looking for that aha moment to make the decision for them, that advice would be to take inspiration from everything. Thank you for listening to the STEM Sessions podcast. This episode was researched, written, and produced by me, Jarl Cody. While I strive for completeness and accuracy, I encourage you to do your own research on the topic we discussed and confirm what I have presented. Corrections and additional information are always welcome. Show notes, contact information, and details of our other activities can be found on our website, thestemsessions.com. If you received value from this episode and wish to give some back, please visit thestemsessions.com slash value for value for ways to support the podcast. Finally, please remember STEM is not the exclusive tool of experts, policymakers, or talking heads. Every presenter is susceptible to unconscious and sometimes deliberate bias, so always verify what you read and what you're told. Until the next one, stay curious.